0: Well, let me add my welcome on this Easter day. My name's Alistair. I'm the lead pastor of St. Peter's Fireside. And wherever you are and whenever you are joining us, we are just really glad you're sharing some of your time with us. Uh, Before we dig into this beautiful passage that Lloyd just read, let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for the good news that we're celebrating today. The good news that death is not the end. The good news that... Your love has triumphed over the grave. We celebrate today that Jesus is alive and well and with us. And so as we press into your word, we ask that you'd apply it to our minds, that we not grow shallow, that you'd apply it to our hearts, that we not grow cold, and that you'd apply it to our feet, that we not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. We pray all of these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, as I said, today is Easter, and Easter is about one thing, resurrection. Jesus has been raised from the dead by the power of God. He is not dead. He is risen. And this is why we say, Alleluia. Jesus is alive and well. And so we say, Alleluia. We can't speak of Jesus as if he's stuck in the halls of history or bound to the written page because he is past, present, and future. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. Jesus broke the world as we know it. Or more accurately, the world as we thought we knew it. You know, when you die, you die. That's what we thought. But in God's world, in God's economy Dead stuff doesn't stay dead. Jesus is the living proof. This is the cornerstone of what we believe. The Christian movement stands or falls on the resurrection. Jesus is alive. These three words excite our souls and stir our affections and make us feel as if we are on the inside of something world-transforming Because we are. Jesus is alive. That should be all I have to say on an Easter Sunday. Jesus is alive. And these three words, they do enliven us most of the time. But they can also just become words. We can lose sense of the life-changing and world-transforming reality behind them. And this can sometimes be... A slow drift or something happens that just seems to suck the mystery and power out of this truth for us. Why is that? Our passage is not an Easter day passage per se. Uh, We're told in John chapter 21 verse 14 that this is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. You know, they say the third time's. The charm, if the first two efforts don't work, maybe the third time will. But I don't think there was a problem with the first two resurrection appearances of Jesus. It's not like the resurrection didn't work on that first Easter Sunday or didn't stick. But there's something about this third time that is uniquely necessary, especially for the journey of Simon Peter. Our passage today then is an Easter aftermath passage then. It says the resurrection happened, what now? And I want to suggest that we lose some of the excitement in declaring that Jesus is alive because we don't keep asking the question, what now? Jesus is alive, what now, what now, what now? And this is why we need a third time resurrection story. So the question I want to explore this morning is simple, what now? Jesus is alive. The resurrection has happened. What now? Our passage in John chapter 21 opens up with Simon Peter and a handful of the disciples. And by way of reminder, Peter is a nickname. He was born Simon, son of John. He grew up in Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, and he was a fisherman. And Jesus invited Simon to follow him with the words, follow me, And without any real hesitation, Simon leaves it all behind and he follows Jesus. He's an exemplar of radical discipleship. And Simon was among the very first of Jesus' followers. And he was the first disciple to identify Jesus for who he is. He said, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. Simon is the one who really saw Jesus for who he is. And to to Simon alone, Jesus said, You are Peter. Simon gets a nickname which essentially translates as the rock. If you look at the Greek, it's literally Dwayne Johnson. And right away, Jesus then says, and on this rock, because Jesus likes to play on words, I'll build my church. But as Peter got this sense of his unique importance, it also translated into a sense of self-importance. So when Jesus told the disciples about his impending death, it was the rock who was first to say, I'll die with you, Jesus, to the grave with you. Because that's what a radical disciple named the rock would do. But it's not really how it played out, is it? Jesus immediately tells Simon that before the rooster crows, Simon will deny knowing him. Last Sunday, Lloyd Uh, helped helped us see that the journey of faith has different stages. And they're not always linear. It's more circular. You might be in these stages multiple times as you follow Jesus. But one thing that will happen on the journey of faith that won't happen just once, but perhaps many times in your life, is that you're going to hit a wall. You're going to hit a wall, and this wall will be an unraveling. And this unraveling will push you inward. And you'll have to come to terms with yourself. And you'll have to ask, who am I really in relationship to God? For Simon Peter, his wall was denying Jesus. Three times he said, I do not know him. And he said this as he warmed himself at a charcoal fire during Christ's trial. Peter, the rock, he betrayed his rabbi, his master, his Lord, the Messiah, the Son of God, his friend. He betrayed his friend as he was tried and then crucified. It doesn't get much worse than that. And now Simon has to confront this part of himself before he can move forward. In the context of our passage, We need to remember Jesus has already been raised from the dead. And we don't know how long has passed. Probably around a week. But it's also important to keep in mind that if you believed in the resurrection back then, you believed that this was something that happened after life. That you would be raised from the dead after you had died and were buried. You'd be raised into the presence of God in some distant future. But everything has turned upside down. Jesus' resurrection took place within history, on earth, during time. And it totally disoriented the disciples of Jesus. Despite Jesus telling them, this is what I'm going to do, they couldn't wrap their heads around it. They didn't have a category for this. And it shocked them as much as it shocks us with our materialistic inclinations. Dead stuff stays dead. But as I've said, our passage is this third passage appearance of Jesus since being made alive and one detail that I really do love about this passage is that after encountering the risen Lord twice here's what we read uh, in verse 3 Peter says to the other disciples I am going fishing I am going fishing Jesus is alive the resurrection is taking place within history here and now what now Simon Peter goes fishing I love this. I love this. I don't think Simon is doing anything wrong, as some commentators suggest. Let me put it this way. For those of us who believe in the resurrection, you know Jesus is the crucified and risen Lord, but you're also living through a pandemic. So what have you done? Well, you've likely done what I've done. You make your way through everyday life. You stay home. You do chores. You you work or you look for jobs, you go for a walk, you cook meals or order takeout, you exhaust the Netflix catalog and Amazon Prime and Hulu and every other digital streaming service. You know, some days you sit on the couch with this gnawing sense of futility and hopelessness, and other days you're full of gratitude and thanks. It's not necessarily being disobedient to Jesus. It's just living everyday life. You wake up you eat you have things to do you have another meal you have other things to do you have another meal you go back to bed we believe in the resurrection but everyday life even pandemic life keeps unfolding as usual another day another day peter goes fishing it's everyday life for a fisherman and this is where jesus meets him jesus meets us in our everyday Lives. The resurrection is for everyday life. Yes, the resurrection, it is uh, power. It's promise. It's a promise that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we too will be raised from the dead at the end of time. And then we're going to be clothed in immortality, and we're going to step into the love and peace and joy of God's everlasting kingdom. This is the promise of the resurrection, and it is yours through faith in Christ. But resurrection is also power. It's promise and it's power. It is a power that can reconfigure and redefine how you live your everyday life. And this is what we're about to see in our passage. But as Peter went fishing with a few of the other disciples, we read in verse 3 that they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Nada, zilch, no fish. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you hopefully know in the Gospel of Luke, there is a story like this very one when Peter first encountered Jesus. And it's so similar. It too took place after a long night of fishing and catching no fish. But then Jesus tells Simon to try casting his net again and then they haul in more fish than they can handle. And now, in our passage, Jesus appears on the shore, and he calls out to the disciples in verse uh, 6, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some fish. And just like the last time, when Peter does what Jesus says, we read, they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in, because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, who we understand to be John, said to Peter, it is Lord. It's the Lord. When this happened the first time, Peter blurted out, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And now it's all happening again. So we might expect Peter to say once more, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And surely Peter feels the weight of these words in a greater way than before, because at least back then, he hadn't denied and betrayed Jesus. But what can he say of himself now? But Peter's response is different this time. Peter immediately jumps out of the boat and rushes to shore. And I can't help but think that Peter is also being driven by something else he once said to Jesus. Lord, to whom will we go You have the words of eternal life. Peter might feel worse about himself than he ever has before. He might feel the weight and sting of his sin in deeper ways. Yet simultaneously, Lord, to whom shall we go? And before we know it, Peter is in the water and rushing to shore. Your sin never needs to stand in the way of running to the Lord. It does not disqualify you from his presence, but it qualifies you for his presence. But what happens when Peter arrives at the shore? Well, we read in verses 9 through 13. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So... Now, we might want to run down the rabbit trail of very interesting details about this passage, and I'd encourage you to do that. But I think there's only one detail that stood out to Peter at this breakfast. a charcoal fire, the smell, the flicker of the flame, the, the mere sight of it. Peter is transported back in time. He's outside the trial of Jesus. He's warming himself by a charcoal fire and he vividly remembers these words making it past his lips. I do not know him. Not once, but three times. A charcoal fire, a vivid memory, a stab of shame washes over Peter. It is undeniable that Jesus has intentionally recreated this scene of denial for Peter. It's because when we come to Jesus, he doesn't just gloss over our sin. He doesn't just brush aside all the unlovely details about our lives. He invites us to face them head on, but to face them head on with him. And we see how he does this in verses 15 through 17. Son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Now there is so much that can be said about this beautiful exchange. But here's all I can say for today. Just as there were three questions, or three denials, there's three questions. But perhaps this is because the memory is being transformed. Because just as there were three denials, now there's also three answers. Now, every time Peter's mind goes back to that terrible night, and it will, every time he replays those words, I do not know him. He will also remember sitting with the Lord at another charcoal fire and saying, you know that I love you. I do not know him. You know that I love you. You do not know him. You know that I love you. Just as there was enough grace so that the fishing nets didn't break, Due to the size of the miraculous catch, so there is enough grace, uh, there is enough strength to God's grace so that the nets of God's love do not break due to our betrayal and sin. At these two charcoal firesides, Jesus offers Peter, and he offers us a profoundly honest picture of ourselves. We are people who can say, I do not know him, and also say, but you know that I love you. We experience those truths, and both are true of us. But we also need to read between the lines of this second charcoal fireside. Jesus is there. Jesus is present. He doesn't give up on Simon or any of us. He doesn't write any of us off. He's been raised from the dead. And this is a power that can transform the world. But the power of the resurrection is on display where? As Jesus sits at a breakfast with a friend to reconcile. That is resurrection power at work. And how beautiful it is. And Jesus speaks to him as Simon, not Peter. Did you notice that? He meets Simon. He meets him as he is, not as he thinks he should be. And Jesus shares this meal with him. And he names the elephant in the room, not just for the sake of hashing up old wounds, but for the sake of reconciliation and also for the sake of liberation. Simon doesn't need to deny his denials and he doesn't need to be defined by them either. Because Jesus, Jesus is with him and Jesus is for him. And the work of Simon becoming Peter, that's death and resurrection work. Simon can't do it, but Jesus can and Jesus will. What we're looking at in this encounter is formation by resurrection. Jesus is alive, we've said, what now? Well, the power of the resurrection gives us a new identity. We might not meet Jesus on the shores of Galilee. We might not have our own personal breakfast with him. But all of us can encounter the Lord in the depths of our souls. And the Lord does, in fact, set a table for all of us to meet him there with grace. And so that we can discover who we really are in relationship to God. And there, in Christ's presence, we discover that we are both broken. And welcome as we are, not as we think we should be, neither denying our sin nor denying our belovedness. We are healed by the strength of God's grace and we are secure in the unbreakable nets of God's love. That is who the resurrection makes us into. And by the same power, we can begin to live from our new identity. You know, from this everyday yet ordinary breakfast, Jesus restores Simon back into his calling as Peter. You know, that's what the words, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep are all about. And just as Peter swore he would die for Jesus and then failed, Jesus says, look, you're still going to have an opportunity to die for me. And church history holds that this is, in fact, what happened in Peter's life. But what we don't want to overlook is the true calling of Simon Peter in verse 19. In verse 19, we read, And after saying this, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Follow me. Follow me. If we want to see what difference the resurrection makes for everyday life, it is summed up in these two words. Follow me. Because these two words meet us when we work and when we eat. We see this in our passage. The resurrection is all about fishing and breakfast. These two words, follow me, beckon us from within our ordinary, everyday existence. And they call us toward the one who is resurrection. Jesus is alive. What now? He says, follow me. What does that look like? You follow him into who he says you are, you're forgiven, you're loved. And from there, you follow him into your work and into your home and into meals, into the nuts and bolts and mess and beauty of everyday life, even pandemic life. And I can't tell you what that's going to look like exactly for you. But let me share a story. Recently, I got a message from someone who read my book, Rhythms for Life. And some of you know Barry. And he had a stroke a few years ago. And you could say this was a significant wall in his spiritual journey. And he said uh, that reading the book helped draw him toward Jesus and himself in a life-changing way. Here's what Barry wrote to me. I've gotten over grieving the fact that I'm not who I used to be. And I've also sorted out where I'm going and what I'm doing feel great about it. My book didn't do that. Jesus did that. This is what resurrection power looks like when we take Jesus up on his words, follow me. There's no time limit. There's there's an endless invitation. There's no obstacle or hurdle too big. Jesus always says, follow me. Follow me. Finally, when it comes to resurrection... We need more than the facts. We need more than the facts. I could tell you a lot of facts about why the resurrection is a reliable and trustworthy historical event. And I would be more than happy to do that. The facts can help us get a hold of the resurrection. But our passage shows us that we need more than the facts if we want the resurrection to get a hold of us. We need to encounter the risen Lord for ourselves. We need to encounter the present risenness of Jesus so we can join his disciples in declaring, it is the Lord, it's the Lord. What does that look like for us today? Well, because of the resurrection, I want to say it is improper for us to say, Jesus said. You know, grammar may force us to do so, but it is fundamentally incorrect. Because what Jesus said, he continues to say and will always say. Once he's said it, the words he has spoken continue to live and have power. And so if you're thinking, I haven't heard Jesus speak to me personally, may you have ears to hear how these words are not just written down or stuck on a page, but they are, they are alive and they are full of resurrection power. And while I hope that we would all hear a personal word from the Lord into our souls. And while I believe we can all encounter the spirit of the living Lord himself, may we not miss the power of what Jesus has said and continues to say and always says, follow me. Follow me into forgiveness. Follow me into the endless depths of God's love. Follow me into who I say you are. Follow me right here, right now, in your everyday life. Whatever Jesus says, whatever he asks, wherever he leads, you are invited to follow him into his resurrection power. Jesus is alive. Follow him. Let's pray.